Welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the emergence of green infrastructures and green cities, the key implications for investors, as well as the latest developments in this space. Our guest is Alzbeda Klein, Director and Global Head of Climate Business at International Finance Corporation, which is a part of the World Bank Group. Make sure to send me an email or tweet to let us know your thoughts on this topic and suggest the theme for the next episode, or even tell us your own story to get a chance to be featured. You can find my email and Twitter handle in the episode description. So here's where we are. We're seeing significant growth in investments fueling sustainable construction in green cities. Here are a few examples. There is Google, who's spending $900 million to build a new high-tech neighborhood in Toronto full of buildings made out of wood. Made out of wood. Wouldn't Abraham Lincoln love that? <laughs> Sarajevo is receiving 35 million euros loans for greener public transport. And Britain is kicking off efforts for a fully electric bus town with the hope to have all electric buses by 2025. Innovative thinking around how to structure or restructure a city seems to be a key driver. Just last week, Sidewalk Labs and Michael Green Architecture announced a plan to design the world's first all-timber high-rise neighborhood. And Hawaii's recent Build 25 proposal focused on providing more energy-efficient insulation and lighting for the purpose of reducing their carbon footprint. Now, some critics say that these building requirements may make housing and even retail space out of reach because of the costs involved. Alzbeda, are costs of energy-efficient buildings going to be a stumbling block for society moving forward? Kisa, this is a great question. Costs are such a myth in green buildings, and I can uh, say that they are not going to be an impediment. When we start talking to investors about investing in green buildings and emerging markets, the first question is, how much more is it going to cost me? And our research and and, uh, practice had shown that the cost differential is less than 5% for most of the green buildings, and the cost of bringing these energy-efficient measures are not going to be a stumbling block. And even more importantly, they'll recoup it during the operation of the building. So no, it's not going to be the case. Well, let's talk about a bit about data. Um, do you think that there are data gaps in how energy efficiency is being tracked now and what we're understanding about it? Energy efficiency is like a, uh, like a child that nobody cares about when it comes to data, when it comes to looking at opportunities. It's one of the cheapest way to make our construction better and greener. And it's one of these things that people don't think about. They think about building new. They think about building new buildings. They don't think about saving energy through energy efficiency. And no, there isn't enough data. And we need to have more data especially in emerging markets, because this is where growth will happen. And this is where data is going to be essential to show that you can build green either from scratch or on the retrofits. And these data are extremely relevant to builders and to investors. Okay. So with that being said, great great segue, we have the myth of the cost involved here. We also have the knowledge that Data is good, but it can be better, and we need better data for this. Um, How can investors approach this sort of project? Say, starting from the beginning, how should you approach the Green Cities, Green Buildings project? So first and foremost, we need to ask the question of why. Why do we actually care about it and why it actually matters? And then then we sort of can go to why. So there are three reasons why we should care. First of all, cities consume two-thirds of the world's energy. So when you talked about energy efficiency, well, two-thirds is consumed in cities 
and we need to start thinking about it and make it more efficient, right? When you, when you say cities, you mean actual cities, cities not outlying. Wow. Okay. Cities globally, yeah. So 70% of global carbon emissions come from cities. Secondly, uh, with 90% of urban areas located near the coastlines, uh, we need to start thinking about what this means for cities, what weather patterns and changes in weather patterns mean for cities, and how you need to build to create cities that are sustainable and adapted to the future. And last but not least, and this is the most important one, 60% of cities in emerging markets are yet to be built. They're not built today. They're going to be built by 2030. So when you have an opportunity to change how we do things, this is your opportunity. Because as I said, cities emit, cities are exposed to changing weather, and cities are expanding. I love what you said about just the expansion of cities and how, um, goodness, that's a, a very interesting description of energy, just, you know, something that no one's really dealing with right now. I think a great example um, is Heliogen, which is a clean energy, energy startup. They recently made a pretty promising step toward addressing embodied carbon and cement, steel, and other building materials. They announced that it can harness solar power to generate industrial heat above 1,000 degrees Celsius using artificial intelligence and get this a field of mirrors, which I thought was quite interesting. So Elizabeth, now that we understand the costs or the cost myth, we understand um, the importance of data, but with this artificial intelligence and, and using these types of things, talk to us about emerging technologies and how they will impact green, bitty, green cities and green buildings. Absolutely. So first of all, your example was uh, very timely because um, what this company is doing is reaching hard to decarbonize sectors. So those are sectors where there's a fair bit of innovation, but I would say not enough. And what this company is trying to do is decarbonize cement, decarbonize steel, or at least lower the carbon footprint. This is the cement embedded in buildings. So um, there are two buckets of innovation. One is the innovation in technologies, and one is the innovation in finance. And we can maybe start with the technology innovation. So uh, we have a tool uh, called Edge, uh, and that's a tool that is specifically designed for emerging markets, green construction. Anyone can access it online, and anyone can put in basic characteristics of their building and start playing with various parameters. So as an example, you are in Mongolia. Mongolia is a country with huge differences between the temperature in the summer and in the winter. In the summer, you've got temperature in the 90s, and in the winter, you've got temperature in minus 30s Fahrenheit. How do you build a hotel in Mongolia? Well, you can play through our software whether you are going to put a single glazed window or double glazed window or perhaps triple glazed window and what that means in your cost structure and what that means in your carbon footprint of the building. And through those technologies, you can clearly see how you can build a building that is much more energy efficient. Our architects are telling us that you can build a building that has a lot more natural ventilation so that you need less air conditioning in, in various markets. So there are technologies that are allowing you to do it. And I guess later on, we can talk about uh, innovation in finance. Mm, great, great. So, I mean, with that being said, just getting back to investors for one second, who is the ideal investor for green cities if we're looking at that as a market? Investors, uh, actually, all the investors should be interested in, in green cities, and I'll tell you why. Because it's one of the biggest investment opportunities that we have in front of us um, in the next 10, 15 years. 
we have done a study about cumulative investment opportunities in cities, and that investment opportunity by 2030 is somewhere in a neighborhood of $29 trillion. When you're talking about $29 trillion, this is what has to be built. This is what is going to be built. This is not about which investor. This is about how we bring the most investors into this sector and how we help them de-risk their investments so that they are comfortable coming into the emerging markets. Wow, it sounds like a huge investment opportunity. Now, let's take a quick clip from podcast by IFC, where they take a deep dive into their latest findings around green buildings in emerging markets. We're looking at about a $15.7 trillion opportunity just for the residential sector, which is about 60% of the opportunity. And then you have another $9 trillion in commercial buildings. So offices, hospitals, retail, everything else that you might think of in that category. And so what you're seeing on the residential side is tied to basically rapidly expanding urbanization in emerging markets. You have high population growth in many countries. You have rapidly urbanizing cities and income levels. So more construction, more need for housing in emerging markets, particularly in middle income countries. This was very insightful. So what should be their path? How should they enter in? So there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, we've got a number of cities in emerging markets um, that are already starting on a path of having an investment uh, credit rating. And obviously, those cities are more credit worthy and investors are uh, more willing to um, to come in. But we have a number of initiatives um, at our sister organization, the World Bank, which works on credit worthiness of cities. So helping cities to become credit worthy so that investors can come in and start investing. And then the next step is to look at the sectors where investors are coming in. So when you think, uh, when you look at things like uh, bus rapid transit, this is something which you're familiar with. I think you mentioned it in your introduction. Uh, it's something that investors know how to do in a municipal finance space in the United States, in Canada, in Western Europe. They know how it looks. It's going to look pretty similar in, in emerging markets. When you look at things like waste management, waste treatment, those are new areas, not only in emerging markets, but even in uh, developed markets. And this is where you need to think about de-risking and perhaps blended finance, where um, finance uh, where financiers that need perhaps slightly less return come in and alleviate some of the risk so that uh, commercial investors can come in and gain commercial returns. So it depends on the sector, it depends on the area, depends on uh, where the city is in its own creditworthiness. But the goal is to create solutions that crowd in the maximum private finance into emerging market cities. Great. So we talk about sectors, we talk about de-risking. How can investors use ESG data to help them make these decisions? So ESG data, is, is it's a great question because ESG data until maybe four or five years ago was something that was collected on the sidelines. It was something that investors that had a particular interest in it were looking at it, but it definitely wasn't mainstream. In today's world, you can't read mainstream financial press any day without finding an article about ESG investing, about climate risk, about climate resilience, and it really became a mainstream. So we see financial press writing about it, and then we see investors starting to talk about it. So announcement f announcements from BlackRock recently, announcement from Goldman Sachs, announcement from several other investors um, that total something like $40 trillion of assets under management, talking about the need to look at ESG criteria when they invest and then invest accordingly is definitely bringing that topic to the forefront. But... Data is not perfect. Uh, there are several uh, sources of data that we all use to assess that risk. 
but it became from nice to have to essential to have. And when you have something that is essential to have for your investment decision process, that means that there will be innovation in data. There'll be companies that are going to be crowding into that space and there'll be providers of this data that will uh, tailor it to the needs of investors in that space. Mm, Okay. So it sounds like getting the best type of data is really the best decision that an investor can make here. And I know that Refinitiv, with our ESG data um, objective, a very rich history of data there. So that is definitely... um, how an investor, one way an investor would want to approach um, moving forward. How can we effectively measure the impact of the bottom line if we look at these type of investments? Um, that's, a, that's a great question because a lot of companies are, are thinking about it. Uh, I was just uh, yesterday at the, at the uh, board of um, um, Center for Sustainable Business at the New York University where I'm a member. And there's a new methodology called ROSI, Return on Sustainable Investment, and there are a number of academicians and practitioners who are thinking about that. But even more importantly, it's about what is happening on the ground, and you can see it in how the cities are being built and what kind of financing they can attract. Um, We have done work with the city of Ahmedabad in India, uh, where we looked at their, they they asked us to look at their lower carbon trajectory for the city development. So we helped them design that. And as a result, they um, selected few pilot projects and they are on track to issue their first green bond. So it's not just what you are seeing in paperwork or in research. It's what kind of funding, what kind of finance the city can attract at the end of the day. And that's the proof that that it actually worked because you've got investors who are interested to come in and invest in those uh, projects. The other thing I want to mention is that number of cities in emerging markets are hiring chief resilience officers. Chief resilience officers. Chief resilience officers. So those are the folks who are looking at the city and the city's ability to adapt to changes in the weather and adapt to changing circumstances of the city. Um, and in our report, we have insights from six uh, chief resilience officers from um, Da Nang in Vietnam, from Mexico City, from uh, Samarang in Indonesia, Porto Alegre in Brazil, and others who are looking at what specific requirements the city needs to be able to withstand impact of weather, population density, geography, and other considerations. And that in itself makes investments more sustainable. And that brings you more investors to invest in your city and then allows the city to issue a green bond or have a green loan and crowd in the investments that you need to have to get the city to be sustainable and on a, on a, on a sustainable growth pathway. It really seems like all of this information really leads us back to the need to have really good data. Even with this new role, the chief resilience officer, they're measuring and looking at how a city can be impacted, withstand weather, population, et cetera. They're getting that from data. They need to get that from data, and we need to get better data now. The, the good thing is that the data are becoming uh, more available. We've got uh, – we, are we as IFC, invested in a company called Planet Labs – which are low-orbit satellites that bring in data with a, with a pretty good accuracy. But it's not just the data. It's processing it into an information that investors can use. And um, I think you had on your podcast colleagues who talk about TCFD, uh, the disclosure uh, for financial institutions about climate risks, and um, SASB, which is also uh, promoting disclosure, and others who are bringing disclosure. Disclosure gives you more data. Data allows investors to assess risks. And that allows them in turn to invest. So it's it's a bit of a virtuous cycle that you have when you have good data, when you have good information that is processed into usable data by investors and that crowds in investments into, into cities. And going back to where the investment opportunity is and how large that investment opportunity is, I think it's something that we all need to think about, about how to crowd in investors, pension funds, 
uh, mutual funds, others into opportunities that we see in cities and emerging markets. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, it sounds like that there are some gaps that we really need to to manage better in terms of the information, the data that we receive. If you had a list as better of the top three um, ways that data can influence the future of green buildings, of green cities, are just, you know, how we can manage some of the gaps that exist. What would those top three things be? So I think, first of all, um, I think we need to go back to creditworthiness. So data on the ability of the city to uh, borrow and to repay. Uh, and, and that's sort of financial data. So that's something that is not um, uncommon in developed markets but it's still lacking in emerging markets. So just the financial data on what cities need to be creditworthy and to be able to go to capital markets and to be able to borrow. The second one I would say is data on what the city needs because that data allows you to create bankable projects. What are bankable projects? Those are projects that you can invest in as an investor. And, and we need to have good data to be able to structure those. And then last but not least, it will be data to narrow financing gap in the city. Uh, so again, it's, it's a combination of, um, of, of um, you know, uh, data from the city on um, geography, on the needs, on population growth, on projected revenue growth, potential tax base, but also environmental and, and social data that you need. And that allows you to then structure financial instruments that would allow you to uh, narrow the creditworthiness, narrow the gap so that you can crowd in finance. Example would be, for example, uh, data for base of issuance of green municipal bonds, right? For every green bond that a city would issue, they need to have a data structure embedded in their city government, in the municipal government, to be able to support that green bond with the green projects. It's data on um, land value capture, which is when you build a lot of public infrastructure your land appreciates and value of that land should be factored in. So again, data on on everything that a city needs to narrow the financing gap would go a long way. Great. Alzbeta, finally, what is your big idea? What do you think is going to be happening in this in the green building space that's really going to take the market by surprise, say, over the next year, over the next couple of years? What can we um, not expect but need to start expecting at this point? Uh, so I think, I think the biggest issue will be that you are going to see mainstream investors thinking about how to bring green buildings into emerging markets. That is going to be the likes of large hotel chains who are going to be building and contracting to build very differently because they know they can do it right the first time and they don't have to do the retrofits. And you are going to see investors that you never thought about um, being in that space to be in that space because with the announcements that we heard from BlackRock and all the others, it forces investors, it forces asset owners, and it forces companies to think very differently. So we will go, the big idea is that we will go from nice to have to essential to have. And for that, you need data, you need finance, and you need de-risking tools to make it happen. Mm. So from cost being a myth to the need to have, the critical need to have good data to really understanding the way that these entities need to partner together. It sounds like the future um, is very bright for green cities and green buildings. The future is very bright, very green, I would say. Very green. No, the opportunity are. is very green, <laughs> and I hope the future will be very green as well. Great. Elsbeth, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now a note to our listeners. 
Are there important insights about green infrastructure that we missed? Or would you like to suggest a theme for the next episode? Please email me or reach out on Twitter at Refinitiv using hashtag RSPodcast. See the email and Twitter handle in the episode description. If you want to learn more about investing in green buildings and market opportunities in the emerging economies, check out the latest podcast episode and make sure to download their report. You can find both links in the episode description. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining. See you next time.